Hey there, my name is Tatiana Sawyer. I'm getting over a little cold here, but um, my name is Tatiana Sawyer, T-S-O-I-R, pronounced Sawyer, and I'm here to talk about the making year-end count. I'm recording this episode in, at the end of October, and hopefully you'll get to listen to it uh, before the year is over so you can actually do something about it. Now, just a little background about me. Um, I am a CPA. I've been a CPA for over 10 years. Um, but I've been in accounting for over 16 years. I'm the CEO of Linza Advisors, and I'm also a course creator, business coach, and author. And my book, Dream Bold Start Smart, came out in March of 2021. And what I want to talk to you about today is how to make the end of the year count when it comes to your business. We're all entrepreneurs here, and so I want to help you make the most out of the things that are available to you. And the reason that I want to share it with you today is because um, accounting landscape has shifted in the last decade. Um, And traditional accounting firm approach that you are most likely, because the majority of you as businesses are using a traditional accountant, the traditional approach, traditional firm is all about quant- quantity of clients, the number of clients, as opposed to quality of the service that they provide. And so you may get a really good tax return <clears throat> preparation service, but it doesn't mean that you actually get all of the deductions available um, to you uh, out there. And so that's that's the focus of this presentation today, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the basics. And, and the basic is that also, you know, beyond um, the traditional firms, there are firms like mine, um, there are quite a few of us now where we work with clients throughout the year. We look at their books, look at their um, situation, personal situation that influences their end-of-year tax um, results. And... We look at it throughout the year and we implement strategies that help you reduce your taxes as you move through the year. Because once the year is over, there's really is not much that you can do. And that's where traditional accounting firm is very inferior to this new generation of accountants that are out there. And so um, I want to talk to you uh, today about what you can do for for the end of this year um, so that you can pay less tax. <clears throat> the most foundational element of this is actually um, separating your business and personal transactions. So people think that because they're doing business under their own name, they don't really consider it a business. It's uh, You don't really treat it as a business also. You just um, get paid for whatever it is whatever it is that you do, you enjoy doing, and that's it. And you don't really want to grow it. You're just kind of trying to see what what happens. But the first and foremost foundational element of making the most out of your business income and and reducing your taxes is actually treating it as a business. Treat it as a business, set goals, monitor your expenses, be the true CEO of that business, even if it's just you. I've been a just me girl for probably 10 years at least, um, until I hired my first um, assistant. And there's nothing wrong with that. I also made the same mistake. I didn't treat it as a business for some time. And so um, 
when I realized that, oh my God, I'm not treating it as business, it really changed the way I did business at the time. And the clients that I took on, I didn't take on everybody who came through the door. And that allowed me to focus on serving clients where I can best serve them. <clears throat> and so that's the most foundational item, number one. Number two is separating the funds, as I mentioned. Um, those two are actually interchangeable, meaning they're interrelated, rather. Um, they're, in, they're really two items that are uh, without which you, you really can't build a good business. And so separating your financials, um, your money between business business and personal is really critical, um, and, but so many people don't know that and don't understand that. Um, it seems easier to just manage it out of your personal account, but even you know when I was a bookkeeper many, many years ago, I opened a separate business account under my own name where I could keep track of income and expenses that are business related. Because here's the deal. Here's why it's, that's such a critical element. First, when you commingle funds, you know, when you ha- use the same personal account for business and personal stuff, it's going to be very, very hard for you to prove in an audit and Schedule C self-employed people get audited more than anybody else. It'll be very hard for you to prove that this particular expense was personal. Or that income was really not income, but a loan from your cousin or personal money coming in. You see where I'm going with this? It's very hard to prove to the revenue agent because the revenue agent will say, well, you know what? Because there's commingling going on, we're just going to assume that all of these expenses are personal and all of this income is business. They can do whatever they want. And so it's your obligation to protect yourself from that. Also, you have to remember that when you commingle funds, it makes it really hard for you to have your hand on the pulse when it comes to numbers. So what does that mean? Well, how do you know how much money you're making this year and how much tax you'll owe? Do you love surprises at the end of the year? Do you love owing a lot of money at the end of the year? Nobody does. And so nobody likes surprises, especially when it comes to tax, right? Unpleasant surprises. And so the only way to to really reduce your taxes is stay ahead of the game and stay informed as to how much money you're making to date. And that can only be accomplished by having your books and records done as you go contemporaneously. Now, let's switch to the actual strategies to help you use the end of the year to be able to actually save more money on tax. Now, the most, I guess, um, basic items there, there are a couple of them, are donations. So cleaning out the attic before the new year, you know, new year, new start, Um, non-cash donations. If you're claiming value of over $500, then you need you will need to fill out a separate form. So when you're getting those receipts from the charitable organizations where you've donated a bunch of clothing or household stuff, make sure that you put a market value as of today, whatever that is, uh, that day that you're donating, market value of those donations. Yes, maybe it's a Gucci handbag, 
but is it worth the same amount of money that it was before? Be realistic with it because you will actually have to put descriptions of those things if they're over $500 total in, in cumulative. So if all of the items you, you've donated are $500 or more, non-cash, then you have to like basically um, list them separately. And so that's why you keep the receipt in the re on the receipt, you should, as, as it's fresh in your mind, as you've just donated it, enter the itemized list of things that you've donated an approximate value, but realistic value as of today. Not the price that you paid for it, but value. Also, since you have a business, because this is a group for um, women, this is a podcast for a group for women helping women entrepreneurs, you... The chances are that you're on a cash basis, which means you report income when you receive it physically and expenses when you physically pay them. However, as a cash basis taxpayer, you can utilize prepayments for up to 12 months ahead. So in December, you could prepay your car lease, make 12 payments in December for the next year if you know that your income is high and you need to reduce it. And again, for that, you need to have good records. So use this time to bring it up to date, bring it up to speed, understand what your income is for the, for this year and what your expenses are and what your bottom line is and how much you're going to get taxed on. Ideally, you would also compare it to the prior year and see, okay, so prior year I had 50,000 in income, 30,000 in expenses, 20,000 in net profit. This year, I'm making double that, so that means my tax is going to be approximately double, if not more. That's why we do contemporaneous bookkeeping, and that's why it's so important, it's so critical, even though it's kind of boring and mundane. So when you do prepayments, you know, when you make decisions as to reducing your income in December, for example, which is, which is a lot of the things that I do with clients, Typically, what happens is we actually, traditional accounting firms are not busy in November and December. We are crazy busy because we actually look at every client's situation, see whether all the paper, paperwork, all the money trail, all the paper trail is in place so that we can close the year, have all of the documents in case of an audit, and also utilize these last minute planning techniques to reduce the person's tax, depending on where they are at the end of the year. And so we'll look, we'll look at people's um, net income and, and expenses and all different reports throughout the year to, to pay some of the estimates, sometimes to run payroll, to catch up on payroll, and so on and so forth. But we also look at it for everyone in December <clears throat> to make sure that we actually need, uh, do what needs to get done. And so um, prepayments is a really big um, item. However, it's a prepayment. So what has to happen? You have to actually outlay cash. And so you may or may not be able to do that. Now, you can also prepay a couple of months of rent to make a deduction, to take a deduction in the current year. If you have the cash, um, you could buy equipment potentially if you need equipment, if you need to upgrade people's computers or, you know, whatever else happens in your business. Prepay a car lease, just like I said. Um, maybe prepay your consultant or accountant for next year. Utilize 
the expenses that you would have to pay anyway in the next few months and prepay them so that you can pay less in tax that, that for that calendar year, okay? Another great option is deferrals. Deferrals is one of those things that could be done after the year is over. So deferrals come in a few flavors. Number one, which is really cool, um, is income deferral. And as a cash basis taxpayer, which the majority of business, business small businesses in the U.S. are, or non-U.S., um, you have the ability, in the United States, you have the ability uh, to defer income, meaning don't bill your clients on the last day of the month. For that month, bill them on January 1st or January 2nd. It's a perfectly legal way to defer income, to not receive it. You don't have constructive receipt of that cash, and so it works really well. Another one is an HSA, which not a lot of people know about. Be sure to check with your tax advisor uh, on the rules that make you eligible for it. And in general, I want to disclaim this presentation as not to be construed as legal or tax advice. These are just suggestions and are presented for entertainment purposes. HSA is a health savings account for people who pay a pretty high deductible on their health insurance premium, the, uh, the, those folks are eligible to open an HSA account. Now, there are rules of what the high deductible means. And so that's why I said check with your um, accountant and or advisor, tax advisor who can help you because those numbers also change every year. HSA is a perfect way to pay for your medical copays deductibles, and so on and so forth, and do it tax-free and get a deduction for it. You get a deduction when you contribute. You don't have to use the money um, that year. The money can sit there and actually can be invested and grow on its own. And then when you take it out, when you pay it for it, um, for the medical with it for the medical expenses, it's tax-free to you. You just get a form. You have to report the distribution, you have to sh just report account, uh, also that you've incurred the expense, and that's it, and keep receipts. In this case, you actually get to deduct some medical copays, which normally, because the threshold to deduct medical expenses is so high, typically you wouldn't even get a deduction for any of that. So keep that in mind. And then the third deferral is retirement plan. So the first deferral is income deferral, so billing clients later. Um, second one is HSA, health savings accounts. We all incur health costs of, of one kind or the other. And the third one is retirement plans. Now, retirement plans, depend on whether you're covered by a plan at work or not, and there's quite a few options there as well. So definitely explore different options. There's the SEP, there's the 401k if you have a, an actual entity business set up, and so on and so forth. And so... <clears throat> Make sure that you know that you can put away, when you work for someone, let's say, you can put away 19500 as a deferral, and maybe the company gives you some match. When you work for yourself, you can actually contribute much more than that if you can. And my recommendation usually to my clients is uh, in your highest earning years, when you make more money and your tax bracket is close to the top one, 
you put away as much as you possibly can into retirement because chances are in retirement, when you withdraw the money, you're not going to withdraw as much every year. And that's why your tax bracket will be kept lower. And in the, as a result of this, you will pay less in tax total. Retirement plans for self-employed, whether it's a SEP or 401k, solo K or, um, or whatever, are, offer huge opportunities for us to put more and more money aside for, for us and also for our employees if we start hiring people. But it's a great technique and the beauty of, um, let's say, a, a 401k that you own. So it's your business and you own a 401k. The beauty of that is that there are contributions that can be made up until September 15th if you extend your return. So the year is over. You're in January. You still have nine months to make the contribution to harness the savings. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to have. Now, two more things that I want to talk about is entity structure and income shifting. Now, those things you will definitely need help from someone who's trained in tax planning. However, if you don't know about it, you don't even know whom to ask. And so I'm going to give you some of the ideas so that you actually have questions for your accountant. So entity structure, traditional accounting firms look at one type of entity. Oh, should I be an S-corp? Should I be an LLC? Most lawyers love LLCs. Oh, just go form an LLC. Here's the reality. The reality is that if you're an LLC as a default entity, you will pay the most amount of tax. That's when you're making money. If you are still at a loss or if you're making under 50 grand net income, it doesn't make sense to do anything with that LLC. It definitely makes sense to have the LLC because attorneys say that uh, LLCs protect us from limited liability. So do S corporations and so on and so forth. But that's the idea. The idea is that you have to protect yourself from limited liability. However, keep in mind that neither of those entities, actually none of those entities, nobody protects you from liability if you've done something on purpose. So if there was fraud or intentional negligence or uh, whatever, um, if any of those things happen, the, the veil, the limited liability veil will be pierced and you will be held responsible for it anyway. So it doesn't protect you 100%. It protects you enough so that if you do everything right, people can't go after your personal assets. But attorneys only focus on that aspect of things and don't care about the tax usually. That's what I've seen and that's what I've seen on websites like LegalZoom and other platforms. You know, LLC is the easiest. Okay, just form an LLC. Well, it's fine. It is the easiest and it is a good entity to have because it allows you to convert it to somewhere, something else. Here's the problem. The problem is that most traditional accountants look at your business as a one entity thing. I look at it as a multi-entity structure often. Most clients that come to me, I always review their personal goals because business is personal. We build businesses because we want to have a better life. I review their personal life, I review their business, I review their income streams within their business so that we can determine whether or not we can restructure this business and take advantage of some of the tax opportunities that are out there that are not available to this one entity business. So 
look for that kind of approach. Ask for session, pay for the consultation for your accountant to help you see if your business should be split to take advantage of the QBI deduction. Write this down, QB as in boy, I as in ivory, QBI deduction optimization. There are certain businesses, especially professional services, that phase start phasing out of that deduction. It's a very lucrative deduction. It's 20% off the top. And they start phasing out of it because their business is all lumped together. For example, an interior designer. Many interior designers sell furniture. Now, interior designer service is sub is subject to that phase out of the lucrative deduction. So you'll start losing deduction after, after a certain time, right? But selling a furniture is not. However, if a business commingles both, then neither of those things are eligible for this extended um, deduction. And this example can be applied to other industries and, and research will need to be done for your specific industry. So don't take a cookie cutter solution Make sure that when you contact your accountant, they actually do some research on your specific split and find a way to potentially make you eligible for more QBI deduction if you haven't been already. This was the second one. So QBI deduction op optimization is, is an important part and it plays right into the entity restructuring. Here's the thing. If you have a single member LLC and it's the end of the year, you still could convert it to something else if you do it right, but you have to hurry. You only have until the end of the year to make it right and make sure that actually the IRS approves your conversion on time for you to file. It won't be like a simple um, journey, but if you hire someone or if you have someone who knows what they're doing, you can do it right. I've done it many times and I know that it can be done. So don't take no for an answer. Find another professional if, if the one you have doesn't um, really deliver on that. And then the last item I want to cover is income shifting. Income shifting is a very, very under, I guess, overlooked um, strategy and the reason is that it takes time to implement income shifting. It takes time for the accountant to talk to you and to ask you about your personal life, whom you're supporting, whom you're giving money to, and then all these personal things. And that's why traditional accountants don't do them because they're all focused on just the tax return fee and spending as little time as possible so that they can get the highest rate per hour or whatever it may be. Now, with non-traditional new generation accountants, I call them us, I guess, um, is when you actually look at those things in the beginning of the client relationship and throughout the year, whether it changes, you know, um, dependents grow up, things change, dynamics change, we also ad adapt to the change. And so income shifting is shifting income to people, to other individuals with lower tax brackets. What that means is, for example, um, someone has children of, of, let's say, ages of seven plus, um, and those children, if they work because they're minors, they will actually pay zero tax. And if set up correctly, they, they will not only pay zero income tax on up to 12000 per child a year, 
They can also pay zero FICA tax, self-employment tax, if it's set up correctly. So what that means is on a $12,000 payment to your child, you can save not only the income tax that you're paying. So let's say you're in a 37% tax bracket. You could also save another 15%, 15 15.3% on self-employment tax because minors um, are not subject to self-employment tax until the age of 18. And so you could also save on state tax if your state has a state income tax. And that's a savings of at least $6,300 on a $12,000 payment to your child. That's huge. And so it has to be set up correctly. The children actually have to help you out in your business. You have to keep track of their time. You have to check your state regulations for minor permits, potentially. All of this can be done by a professional, but, and it, we, you know, we do this for a living. So it's really, really lucrative and people who have more than one child is, you know, is just treasure trove. Same thing. If you're helping out a friend, giving them money, give them a little more to cover the tax, but make it a deduction, make it income to them. There again, um, there are rules that you have to follow. So you would have to set up some sort of a payroll or maybe a 1099 or whatever it is that's applicable to you and your situation and your state. So you will definitely need help with that, but it can be done. And the savings are just phenomenal. And frankly, some of my clients utilize that kid's payroll um, or relative's payroll. I used to support my parents um, as well. This way, they would help me out in the business and I would pay them and they would contribute to this or security to contribute to their retirement or whatever it is. And, and you can do the same for the kids. The kids can also contribute to retirement up to $6,000 a year. And again, these numbers change every year, but this is a treasure trove. And even if your child, let's say, even if you run more payroll for your child, let's say instead of 12,000, you run 18,000 for them. Well, the first 12,000, you will save the difference between zero and your tax bracket. And the second portion, which is 6,000, the overage over 12, you will save um, 10, the difference between 10% and your tax bracket. So again, you're still saving on that money, which is phenomenal. So the optimization also needs to be reviewed every year. You have to have all the paperwork in place and, and things like that. So again, don't attempt to do DIY this, but definitely ask your professional to help you out with that. If that's if you're spending a lot of money on, on kids and you make you want to quote unquote make it deductible, absolutely do it. All right, I hope this episode was helpful. Again, my name is Tatiana Sawyer, um, and I will see you around. I'll see you in the group.